Tired of trying to run your office from home? The Mill Enterprise Hub in Drogheda offers hot desking and office solutions in a supportive startup community for businesses and remote workers. They provide members with 24-7 access, free car parking, 1 gigabit broadband, meeting rooms, soundproof pods for all your Zoom calls, mentoring, podcasting and vlogging facilities. There's no lengthy contracts. Oh, and did we mention there's free tea and coffee too? Email us today to arrange your tour at startup at Future Proof Extra from News Talk. Now, to marvel at the vast beauty of the universe is to be human. Since the dawn of time, we as humans have looked up in awe at the night sky, but how much of it are we actually seeing? In the book The Invisible Universe, the question is posed is what meets the eye just the tip of the iceberg? Public astronomer of the University of Cambridge and author of The Invisible Universe, Dr. Matthew Bodwell, joins me on the line. Uh, welcome to the program, Matt. Tell me, how bad is our eyesight when we look up at the, at the night sky? How much of it are we actually seeing? Um, yes, well, hi. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, the answer is that our eyesight is pretty terrible indeed. Um, we evolved on planet Earth to see the wavelengths from the sun, but the light that we can see with our eyes is just a vanishingly tiny fraction of all the electromagnetic information that's out there. Um, the, the metaphor I opened the book with uh, gives a nice kind of flavor of that. Um, the light, the reddest light we can see with our eyes has a wavelength of somewhere around 700 billionths of a meter. And the bluest light we can see is somewhere around 350 billionths of a meter. So we can have we have about a factor of two in wavelength through which we see the world. Um, a factor of two in wavelength also has meaning in terms of music. So an, a note and then a note one octave higher will differ in a factor of two in wavelength. And so you can think of the visible part of the spectrum, the light we can see as being like one octave worth of visible light. And it turns out that all of the electromagnetic information that comes from the universe represents about 65 octaves. Um, that's about nine grand pianos standing in a line. Um, so if you consider our kind of one pretty puny central octave, it, it becomes very clear that we are missing almost all of the universe when we look with our eyes. Wow. Well, I knew we had a, a limited view, but I didn't realize it was that insignificant. But how do we know that the last keys on the piano are actually the last keys on the piano? Is it possible that there are um, ranges of, of really small or really large that we don't know how to detect yet? Um, so there are different ways of detecting things, even if we can't see them. So there are certain things that make different wavelengths of light we can't see. So, for example, uh, exploding stars will make radio waves that we can't see with our eyes, but we can build radio antenna to pick up. Or black holes, for example, shoot out very, very high energy uh, X-rays and gamma rays. And again, we can't see them, but we can build machines to detect them. Um, there are things in our universe that are much more invisible and don't emit light of any kind. Uh, these are kind of crazy exotic things like dark matter and dark energy. And even though we can't see these things directly, we can infer their presence a bit like uh, a ghost hunter or something using creaking fl uh, floorboards and slamming doors to work out that there's a ghost in the house. Um, with, the except with, with the exception that dark matter is real, right? Um, maybe the ghost metaphor is a bit <laughs> isn't great, but the point is we, we can see the effects that trail in the wake of dark matter. Uh, so there is something there and we can't see it and we can see the way the rest of the universe responds to it.
but but are, are there are there things that um in, in terms of that scale you talked about the 85 or 95 octaves that is all of that how do we know where that begins and ends because we, with the wavelength and frequency we can get infinitesimally small and infinitesimally large right Oh, absolutely, yeah. So, in terms of uh, wavelength, and on the short end, if we if we go bluer and bluer into the ultraviolet and beyond to start with, as you get to shorter and shorter wavelengths, the energies get higher and higher and higher. So, blue light has a higher energy than red light, but then ultraviolet is even higher still, and then X rays are even higher still, and gamma rays are even higher still. Uh, the scale sort of runs out basically when you have reached such high energies that nothing in the universe can produce them. So, you know, in, in theory, there's no end to the spectrum. But in, in practice, you reach energies that are so crazy that not even the biggest black hole can create something like that. Um, and on the other end of the scale, it's basically the same idea. As you go to longer and longer and longer wavelength radio waves, um, eventually you reach a point where there's just nothing that uh, that can produce waves of that size. Uh, and so it's like it's like a physical limitation rather than a theoretical limitation. It's like our actual practical universe only tends to produce waves spanning this 65 octaves. OK, so let's look into the theory then. What is light specifically? Oh, well, it's a great question. It's, that's a whole can of worms um, that people have been thinking about for, for centuries. So the the answer is that light uh, is sort of a wave and sort of a particle, so, uh, kind of depending on how you look at it. Uh, so we have two different like models or stories that we tell about light. So one is that light is a wave. It's waves of electricity and magnetism that travel around the universe. And the other story is that light is a particle. We call them photons. And we kind of imagine that they are little uh, like snooker balls or something that travel around and ping off things. Um, the problem is that neither of these things are totally correct. So light is sort of a wave and sort of a particle, depending on which way you squint at it. And uh, in some situations, uh, one story is better. In some situations, another story is better. Uh, the reality, of course, is that light is actually something really, really deeply weird that we don't really understand. Uh, but these two stories uh, capture the two different aspects of light as best we can. And so where do we get this understanding or I suppose a lack of understanding uh, as to what light is then? I mean, presumably before we had photons and waves, there were some weird ass theories as to what light actually was. Oh, yeah, there, there, there were some unbelievably weird-ass theories. Um, you don't have to go back very far in human history, to be honest, where people start believing pretty crazy things about light. Um, like ancient Greek philosophers around the time of Socrates used to think that light beams uh, came out from our eyes, like we were all expert or something, went around shooting beams of energy at the universe. Um, I mean, plausible, really, if you haven't done the science, right? I mean, yes, yeah, so they did have some theories. So they noticed that, um, for example, if you see cat's eyes at, light, at night, they, they flash in the darkness. And if you if you poke yourself hard enough in the eye, you can see flashes of light. Um, we'd pl please don't do this at home, people listening. Um, so, you know, the idea that eyes can create light wasn't totally bonkers. Um, and then skip forward a few centuries, people like Isaac Newton came up with the idea that light was made of particles. And then other people would argue with him and said, no, no, that's crazy. Light has to be made of waves. And then in the 20th century, with the discovery of quantum mechanics, uh, scientists reached a problem where we had some experiments showing that light had to be particles and some showing that it had to be waves. And uh, we solved the problem basically by saying that everyone is right. It's sort of waves and sort of particles all at the same time. 
But it was Herschel, wasn't it, that discovered that different wavelengths had different temperatures? Uh, yeah, so William Herschel, the astronomer, discovered infrared light. He was the real person that discovered invisible light that we couldn't see, uh, which I think if, if you went back and spoke to someone before Herschel, like if you went to, to speak to Isaac Newton about invisible light you couldn't see, he would probably call you crazy and you'd get locked up. Um, but yeah, Herschel discovered that there were kinds of lights like infrared and ultraviolet that we're really familiar with today. Uh, but it's it's a real like leap of the imagination if you think about it, realizing that was there was light that we couldn't see. It's a real breakthrough. How did he do that? Um, so Herschel spent uh, a number of years being really obsessed by sun and studying the sun and sunlight. And what he would do to protect his eyes, he would use um, like sheets of glass uh, to filter the sunlight to ex- examine what it was doing. And he noticed that as he made spectra of the sunlight, so you know he projected the sunlight into rainbows through this glass, he noticed that at different points in the rainbow, he could feel different amount of heat. Uh, so uh, when he stuck his hand in the blue part of the spectrum, it felt like nothing. And when he stuck his hand in the red part of the spectrum, it felt like pleasantly warm. And so he had a bit of a brainwave and got a thermometer and stuck it beyond the red end of the spectrum and realized that there was loads of heat beyond the red end of the spectrum that he couldn't physically see. And so he realized that there was something inside sunlight which was causing a, a warming effect but was completely invisible. And so he, uh, he, he didn't get it exactly right. He thought it was a separate thing called heating rays. Uh, but nevertheless, the observation was valid. There was stuff in sunlight that we couldn't see. And that discovery, it's, it sounds fairly simple and fairly basic, but honestly, that discovery laid the groundwork for so much of the modern world, like the entire mu- uh, modern telecom- uh, telecommunications industry and the whole of modern astronomy rests on this idea that there's all different kinds of lights that we can't see. Um, without that discovery, your mobile phone wouldn't have a signal and Wi-Fi wouldn't exist and radio wouldn't exist and just the modern world wouldn't be what it is. Can you take us through the sort of kit that we use nowadays, the the various instruments uh, to see this invisible universe? Um, Well, the answer is because the spectrum is so wide, this 65 octaves, we need all different kinds of kits for seeing different bits of the light. Uh, so if we go to the, the very longest wavelength radio waves, we need to use telescopes that honestly don't even really look like telescopes at all. They are um, antennas, uh, a really famous radio telescope that uh, Jocelyn Bell used to discover pulsars looks like a bunch of um, poles and wires in a field, basically. And I don't think you would know it was a telescope at all. Um, for infrared observations, we need to use satellites uh, because infrared light can't get through the atmosphere. And so we have to blast off into space and view it, which is what's happening in a few weeks, actually, with the James Webb, Webb Space Telescope launching in December. Uh, the same is true for X-ray light. So to see X-ray light, we have to go to space as well. Um, so that there's no one-size-fits-all piece of kit. Uh, we, have to dis- uh, we have to design a pretty dizzying array of different machines uh, to view different parts of the spectrum. What is a bolometer? I've never heard that word before. Oh, yeah. Bolometers are cool. So bolometer is what I uh, I spent a lot of my PhD research uh, studying uh, the light from these things. So bolometers are special tools for measuring very, very long wavelength infrared light. Uh, so if you imagine Herschel's experiment of getting the spectrum and noticing there was some invisible light beyond the red, and that's the infrared light that we are familiar with, this heat radiation. 
um, the very longest wavelength in infrared light um, is impossible to detect using any regular detector. So like think about the CCD camera that you have in your phone that's very good at detecting visible light. Infrared photons, infrared light is very puny and low energy and has no chance of exciting your CCD detector. And so you have to use this thing called a bolometer. Um, the name is really poetic. It means beam of light detector. And it's, it's basically like a, a pointable thermometer. Um, infrared is sort of like heat radiation. So a bolometer is a way of detecting very, very tiny amounts of heat. Um, so it's, a, it's essentially a telescope for looking at for heat rather than visible light. And bolometers are wonderful. They give us an entirely new window to the universe. Um, so if when you look at the night sky with your eyes, you're seeing the night sky in visible lights. If you look at the night sky with a bolometer camera, you see a completely different universe. You see all kinds of alien things that you would not see at all with your eyes just popping into existence. It's like a magic trick. Speaking of invisible things, black holes are infamously invisible because they suck in all light. Um, but the Nobel Prize for Physics last year was given for detecting a black hole in our galaxy. Can you tell us a little bit about that and the sharp camera? Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, black holes themselves are invisible. They are the blackest thing in the universe. They swallow all light. But it's a bit like I was saying with dark matter before, we can see the effect they have on the universe around them. So the reason black holes swallow all light is because their gravity is so ridiculously humongous. And so entire stars and entire swarms of stars will orbit a black hole just in the same way that planets orbit the sun. And so when we point our telescopes towards the center of the Milky Way, we see swarms of stars orbiting just nothingness. Um, and in the same way as if you look at our solar system and you look at how fast the Earth is orbiting the sun, you could do a bit of gravitational maths and figure out how heavy the sun is. We can play the same game with the black hole. Uh, we can watch these swarms of stars orbiting apparently nothingness and do a bit of gravitational maths and work out that the thing that they are orbiting weighs about four million times as much as the sun. And to our eyes, to our visible lights, there's nothing there at all. Um, which tells us it has to be a black hole, right? There is something which weighs 4 million times as much as the sun and is completely missing in our telescopes. Uh, so it can only be a black hole. And uh, it was Andre Gers and Reinhard Genzel uh, won the Nobel Prize for that amazing piece of work. Um, do you think we'll ever get to the bottom of the nature of dark energy and dark matter, these uh, invisible forces that we we sense are there but can't detect you you write about this in the book um i do and oh man i i guess the the answer has to be i hope so um so dark matter and dark energy are i i've been fascinated about them since i was a kid uh, like the, the punchline is that they combined make up about 95% of our universe which is such a humbling statistic so ev everything that we you know everything that we think of normal matter so me and you and uh, the device that you're listening on and the world and all the stars in the sky make up just five percent of the universe 95 percent of everything that exists um, is dark matter and dark energy um, we have a bit more of a handle on dark matter than dark energy. So dark energy is a complete mystery, right? We call it dark energy. That doesn't mean we understand it. We just, we're using the word dark to mean I have no idea what's going on. We can see the universe getting pushed apart faster and faster and faster. We have no idea what's, called, what's causing it. And so we call it dark energy. That's a placeholder to mean there is some crazy thing going on and we want to understand it. 
Um, dark matter is still mysterious, but we have a better understanding of what it probably is. So we reckon it's some kind of tiny uh, subatomic particle that is just kind of everywhere in the universe. And our whole Milky Way is embedded in a big cloud of dark matter. And so if our models are right, then we are surrounded by dark matter. As you listen to this, there are billions of dark matter particles passing through your body. Uh, but the problem is, if they can pass through your body, they can also pass through any machine we could make to detect them. Uh, so we think they are probably here, but they are proving very, very hard to actually catch in the act. Yeah, which is fair enough, I suppose. If you like this sort of stuff, the book is filled with so many fascinating stories. It's called The Invisible Universe. It's by Dr. Matthew Bothwell. Matthew, thanks for your time. Thank you so much for having me. we may never work in the same way again. So reimagine the office with scalable workspaces that flex to your needs. Design-led interiors and world-class IT. Iconic offices have reinvented the future of working, so you don't have to. Hybrid offices, co-working, or custom floors for a global HQ. 16 prime Dublin locations, infinite possibilities. Experience it for yourself. Visit iconicoffices.ie to reimagine how working can work for your business.